Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. A sleeping church... And a nervous angel. Well, now I'm not quite sure that an angel was nervous because the scripture does not tell us that the angel was nervous. You know, it was the thought of God's people as was carried in the Old Testament and perhaps is even so, even though we do not think about it as much today as they did, they thought that an angel was in charge of everything. And so it was perfectly legitimate for them to feel that there was an angel in charge of every church. And so this angel that was in charge of the church at Sardis, we have uh, this word sent to him uh, that the church was not quite what it ought to be. Now, to know what is really being said to this angel, we need to understand something of the power and authority was behind uh, the message that was sent to the church. And it would be as if I were involved in it as a preacher for the Council of Bishops, and that includes all the bishops of the Methodist Church in this land and wherever they might be a Methodist bishop. For all the Methodist bishops, the council of bishops and the uncle bishop and the district superintendent to send me a message and tell them that they were not happy uh, with the church here at Butchel. Now, of course, you know that is total power over the preacher. And I want to tell you, if I got a message like that from the council of bishops, or even from my own bishop, I would be sort of nervous about the situation. I would be trying to see what uh, he thought the problem was and trying to correct it. Now, this man goes about it, or this person goes about it by saying, or uh, this is the Spirit, and says it is the one who has the seven spirits of God and who has the seven stars. Well, what he's really saying, the one that has total power. It's not just anyone sending you this message uh, to the angel, but it is one that has absolute power, total power. And that, of course, he was referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has absolute and total power is looking at the situation and has found that things are not quite what they ought to be there. Well, the angel should have been quite nervous about the situation. Now, it's interesting to note that the angel did not report the condition of the church at Sardis. This one who is sending the message it goes without saying that he was conscious of what was going on. He did not have to ask anyone about the situation. The angel did not make the report. Uh, but it's this one that has the awesome power in the seven spirits of God. The, uh, whatever spirit there is, there isn't anything outside of this one. And this one was completely conscious of what was going on uh, within the church at Sardis. He knew. He knew what it was. Do it perfectly. No reports made. It wasn't that he had to rely on what someone else was saying, that he was completely conscious of his churches. I remember some years ago that I borrowed a gun from a man that used to be in charge of the sporting goods department here at Sears. Borrowed a gun from him that he had to go hunting out west. And it was a beautiful gun. And one of the men that I was with or showing the beautiful gun to, he said, I know this man that did the woodwork on this gun. I know him. 
I know his work and I can tell it anywhere. This gun, uh, the decoration on this stock, the inlay and the way it has been carved, he said that was done by a craftsman that lives at Kemmelsville, Kentucky. Well, I was amazed. I was just amazed. So I came back and from the trip and asked my friend that I had borrowed the gun from where the artwork on the stock was done. And he said it was done by, and called the man's name, which I've forgotten now, but a craftsman that was at uh, Camelsville, Kentucky. This surprised me. Here was a man far away from home at another place within this great country of ours, and he could look at a gun and could tell by the craftsmanship on it where it came from. He knew exactly, and the man was right. Something of what the God has in relation to a church. Is God conscious of our church? As he who has the seven spirits and holds the seven stars in his hand, as he completely conscious of what is going on here, can he tell by looking at the situation what type of a person or persons we are who make this church up? You see, the work of our hand can either be a blessing or it can be a curse. The whole book of James is written in this direction. He's saying that it is true that there are those who build with wood, stubble, and hay. And speaking as if there will be a day coming when this type of work will be swept away as by fire. And the only thing that will be left standing for this person is only his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as James says, he will be saved, but only as the skin of his teeth, or by the skin of his teeth. As it will be a, a pretty bad way for us to approach that judgment day. But we're thinking in terms of the church, a sleeping church. That is basically what the message was that was sent to the angel. Your church there at Sardis is asleep. It's asleep and it needs to awaken from this sleep and see the opportunity that is before it and seize it and make the most of it. You see, beloved, whether we have or not for ourselves, there's a great expectation of God in relation to his church. And that is so. I wonder what the expectations of God happens to be for us here. Perhaps if the curtain was snatched aside and we'd be able to see the great expectation of God, it would make some of us quite nervous. When the Lord speaks of work of the church, what is he really talking about? What is he really talking about? Some of you who have been reading some of the magazines that I have, you remember there was a report not too long ago in one of our Christian magazines about the work in China. The work of the church in China. And one of the men who has been faithful to the leaders of the uh, Christian church in China. I didn't know why he still existed, but evidently so. There is a movement within China. And this man made the bold statement uh, that the Christian church in the West has run its course. And it's run its course in the United States. It's reached its peak and peaked out. And he is saying the great hope for the Christian cause today is within China. And he sees the great movement among his people that will return to the church and the church will become strong. And it is that the church of China that has the possibility of evangelizing the world. Well, you know, there's something that's wonderful about that report and there's something that's bad about that report. I do not like to think that we here within this land of ours have peaked out. We have reached our peak and, and there's nothing to pass to here for us. Well, it is true that we don't think anymore in terms of evangelizing the world. And that's a tragedy our forefathers did. Uh, but the work of the church comes uh, at this place. We are to give a witness to the world. 
That's what he's talking about. We do have a message of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is our witness. That's what we're supposed to be about. Uh, we're supposed to be challenging this community uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ, to take them the saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our witness. This is our calling. But we come to the place in our society today where we feel that we have done our part if we come and listen to a dull sermon. Don't you feel really religious when you go home and I haven't said anything to inspire you? You know you've been right religious to listen to that. <laughs> well, I don't blame you. Uh, but that's not quite the way that it ought to be, you see. Regardless of whether the sermon be good or bad, interesting or dull. Uh, that doesn't take the responsibility that you have away from you for you to witness to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, we will turn this thing around. And what this Chinese Christian was saying, when his church, uh, the people there, they will be caught up with the enthusiasm of being born again and with this awesome message of Christ that they haven't heard about as of yet. And when they lay hold of it, they will be so enthusiastic about it that they will tell someone else about it. They sing this beautiful old hymn, I love to tell the story. Well, we do have a message to give, but the question is, do we really love to tell it? You see, on any one given Sunday, there's enough of us that have already made our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ if we wanted to and really put our heart and our mind to it by giving our witness and bringing with it those that we have witnessed to that we would only have standing room in this beautiful sanctuary. There's no question what the work that the, the one who had the seven spirits and the seven stars was talking about. This is precisely what he was talking about. To evangelize the world. A message that is so fantastic that when a person hears it, that they either have to say yes or no to it. And their eternal disposition of their soul depends upon the way that they answer answer that message but you know I couldn't help but reflect on this some here was supposed to be an angel in charge of the church of Sardis and I don't know what kind of message that he gave to that church outside of this message here maybe he presented that to them or had it presented to the church there but I wonder if there had been those there that thought that the church was asleep Perhaps the best thing to do would be to send a delegation uh, to talk to the one who had the seven seals and the seven spirits and the seven stars and say they couldn't get another angel. What is our responsibility as an individual to the church and to the kingdom of God? A witness means that we have something to say. You see, that's a legal term. A witness. We think of it in relation to our court system. A witness is one that has been participated in some to the extent that he sought or was involved in it to some degree. And he has some valuable testimony to give. And he needs to give it in order that the right would be brought within the situation, whatever it might be. And beloved, how true that is with each one of us. We are to give our witness. When that happens, then there's another thing that takes place. There is a climate that is created, an atmosphere where things can happen. 
uh, those of you who take the National Geographic, this last one, I believe there's where I saw it, where they had uncovered the bones of this massive animal larger than anything that they had ever heretofore dug out of the ground. And it's a massive animal, a large, huge thing, weighed many tons, perhaps lived here upon the earth a million years ago. But they have discovered his remains and they know that he was here. Now what happened to these great, massive, huge animals? Were they hunted down and into the ground? That's not so. You know what happened? This amazes me. Everyone that I read now that has anything to say on any authority on the subject say that the reason these massive animals disappeared from the face of the earth is simply because the climate changed. And they could not change. There was a little animal that still exists on the face of the earth today and prevalent here within our community. You see them every once in a while. That lived the same time that this massive animal of long ago lived. And that was the opossum. But evidently he was able to change. But this great massive animal was not able to change. And so it walks no more upon the face of the earth. And all that happened was there was a change in the climate. Now, beloved, I cannot emphasize enough to tell you about the atmosphere in which the Holy Spirit is able to work. And I want to tell you something that depends upon you and me. Oh, we're conscious today about the atmosphere. We're conscious today about the pollution. And we know that uh, this can be polluted in such a way that it will take its toll upon us. Beloved, when it comes to the kingdom of God and those things that are spiritual, it calls for us, if we act in a certain way, that there will be an atmosphere created where things can take place, where the Holy Spirit is able to work. And you know something? Oh, I know that there are many things that we could say about us that is critical, but let us say this some things that are good about the atmosphere that's been created here. Do you know that this church has created an atmosphere in which more young men have heard the call to the ministry than some churches that I know that have been in existence 150 years? Isn't that fantastic? And that has happened, beloved, because there was an atmosphere in which the Holy Spirit is able to work. And our young people are able to hear the call of God. It's just as simple as that. Now what is it that creates this type of climate? What are we talking about anyway? Well, you know, some years ago, a man, many years ago, a man wrote an article in relation to the Ohio River Valley. And it was his predictions years ago that the Ohio River Valley would become the Ruhr Valley of this continent of ours. Now, if you've ever been in Germany, you know that it's heavily industrialized from one end of the Ruhr Valley to the other almost. It's also it was a land of great production. There is no more fertile region than the Ohio River Valley. It has a possibility of great production. But we are living to see that what this man said is taking place within our day and perhaps if we live a while longer we will be able to see that the Ohio River Valley will be uh, industrialized from one end to the other simply because of its proximity of the heart of this great land of ours and because it is a natural highway where great freight can be taken up and down uh, the river. It's a place that controls the atmosphere of this community. 
the influence of the Ohio River. Well, what's the Ohio River for the church? Well, beloved, it's one simple thing, and we know it and call it love. Love. That is the river uh, that influences and sets uh, the atmosphere for the church. It should be a great flowing stream like the Ohio River, that everything that comes in contact with it is influenced by it simply because it has such an awesome power over the atmosphere of this region. The love that is expressed in understanding. Understanding. Love that is expressed in patience. I remember a couple of years ago, a couple of summers ago, you know, the garden up at the parsonage is that's a unique garden. It's not even on the parsonage ground. I don't know who the ground belongs to. I thought maybe somebody would come by and claim half the produce off of that garden. But it's on somebody else. About a Jewish neighbor that lives next door. Used to be three of us, a Presbyterian, but the Presbyterian uh, got up in this world and they moved somewhere else. And so it's just my Jewish neighbor and myself. And so my Jewish neighbor has a lovely little daughter and she wanted to help out. In fact, that's the way the garden started, to be a community garden, is through the little neighbor at that time, about 10 years of age, and she wanted to garden. She asked me if she could garden with me. I said, sure you can. And so we started there. Well, anyway, about two summers ago, it was a deal worked out where I would do the hard work, like plowing, you know, and they would have to do all the weeding, pull all the weeds out of it. I didn't tell them what the hard job really was, but they think they got the easy one. Well, anyhow, so the mother of my little neighbor wasn't able to do some work so she sent her daughter out to pull some weeds and this little daughter was supposed to pull the weeds out of the beet row now the beets were up just a little bit and the weeds were all around them my little neighbor went out there and she was so meticulous about the job it was hot and and she worked so hard and she pulled up every beet just everyone went right down the road she left the straightest string of weeds that i've ever seen <laughs> pull up every beet I came in and I told Ed and I said what had happened and, and we thought it was funny. Well, it was funny. And I said, well, now you give my little neighbor time and, and she'll understand what a beat is next time around and we'll just plow that row up and, and we'll just start over again. Uh, how much patience do we have with one another? You know, beloved, if these qualities are not to be found within the house of God, where in the name of God can I go to look for them? If there's not some real care to give understanding that flows from the people of God, where can I go to find understanding? If there's not patience to be found within the house of God, where in the name of God can I go to find this type of a quality? If I cannot find forgiveness among the people of God, you tell me then, where in the name of God can I go to find forgiveness? You know, the first church that I had, I remember it was only about 15 or 20 of us, maybe 30, I've forgotten now. But somewhere along the second year that we were in existence as a church, I remember it's hard to get someone to play the piano. Maybe you didn't have that problem here, but we did there. And I remember there was a man that came to us that lived on the same street the church was and he had a lovely wife and a little girl and a boy. 
And I knew him when his oldest one was, I guess, about nine years of age. They, they were just the cutest kids, and they were always around the parsonage. And I just loved them dearly. Well, this man started to play on the piano for us, and man, could he ever play that piano. I tell you, he was just pretty good at it. And then there were those that came to me, and I don't remember who they are now, and I'm glad I can't remember their name. And said, now look, this man can't play the piano in this church. He just can't do it. And the reason why he can't do it is because down on the corner, you know, of Strawberry Lane and 3rd Street, I think it's still there, there's an old tavern there. And those who were talking to me, is two or three of the committee, you know, talking to the preacher and said, now, the reason he shouldn't play the piano within the church is because he plays two or three nights a week in that place down there on the corner, that joint. And you know that they have topless waitresses down there. And now he can't be a part of this church. Well, I never did say anything to the man, didn't have to, but it got back to him. Of course, I always wanted to ask the committee, how do you know that he plays down there? <laughs> but then I was afraid they'd tell me. They got back to him, and I remember that man came. Says, the preacher, can't play anymore in the church. Can't. He says, it's gotten back to me what's been said, and I wouldn't want to embarrass the church. I wouldn't want to embarrass you. I don't want to embarrass anybody. He said, I've been listening to Fulton Sheen on the TV. I says, I'd like to know the Christ that he's talking about. I'd like to know him. Neighbor, it's the same Christ that we have in that little Methodist church. He says, I know. He says, but it can't come. And he didn't. Oh, his children came there once in a while. And later on they made a commitment. But he, nor his wife, so far as I know, was ever in that church again. Now I told you that story to say this to us who name the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. If a man cannot or woman cannot find forgiveness, if they cannot find love as expressed and care, concern, patience and understanding within the church, you tell me where can I go to find it? And beloved, if it's a greater demonstration of it somewhere else than it is within the church, then I would hope that God would give me whatever I need to have in order that I might be able to join myself to that group. To that group. We're talking about love that creates an atmosphere. You know, I've told you this story, but it comes at a time... I remember out there in that place, 
We had that wilderness out there, like you started with here. You remember that great wilderness you had here on this side and some of you worked so hard to clear out years ago? Well, I didn't have enough and didn't have enough money to buy equipment with, so I made a deal with the city. You can have this place for a park. And we'll clean it off, but you've got to furnish the equipment and the gas to do it. And so, the man I talked to, he said, it's a deal. He said, it's a deal, we'll just do it. It'll help the church and it'll help us. We want to start a park in this community. And we'll just work it out and we'll just do it. And so they sent me out a bunch of push mowers. Now those of you who have ever been in a black locust tree patch know that it's one of the hardest woods there is. I mean, it's just hard. It's not like any of this other stuff. It's just about the hardest wood that we know. And those little old things would grow up and about the big around your finger and they were just tough. And we tore up about four or five of their push mowers and I called Bill Moore. I'll never forget, he's dead now was head of the city parks system and I said Bill I said don't send me out anymore those little push things I said we tear them up faster than your truck and bring them out here I said send me something out here we'll grind up anything I run it into I said just anything I run it into we'll grind up rocks stumps or whatever I run it over he says preacher I've got the thing and I'll send it to you so he sent me out and I'd never seen one before because I didn't know much about those things at that time he sent me out those Gravely tractors, self-propelled and with a cutter bar on it. And I tell you the truth, it'd grind up anything you run it across. It wouldn't make any difference what it is. Those stumps are as hard as rock and you'd run it over top of them and it'd sit there until it ground them into the ground. I'd tell you to grind up anything ground into that finger off right there. That's what I had it tore off of. One of those tractors. You know, I'd like to think of my church like that. Now look. Well, we're just not any kind of a push thing. We're something like the old man in the Old Testament 4,000 years ago saw God's people. He said it's a sharp instrument with teeth in it. I would like to think of my church that whatever God decided to give to us or whatever I could find in this community to bring into this church that the light would be so fantastic the care and the concern would be that they could take the hardest character that we could find in our community and bring him in here and before it was over with he would be turned into one that could be used by God. Paul was a man who consented to the killing of the Christians. But when Jesus got through with him he became the Apostle Paul. Think of that. Think of that. I remember that moment on the street that when it was finally done and Jesus had forgiven her and straightened her out that she became the Mary that we know so much about within the scriptures. There used to be a shop out in the south end of Louisville and had a sign, a pretty good sized sign, a car shop, a body shop for cars and had on there that said we can rebuild anything. I wish we could put a sign on this church and that would be what we would say, we can rebuild anything. Whatever's wrecked, whatever's torn up within a human's life, regardless of what kind of condition it is in, you give it to us, let it come, and we will rebuild it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I've got a church. Well, a church to be proud of. A church that you know that's going to make a difference to a person. It's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference because here are a group of people that love the Lord Jesus Christ and it creates an atmosphere that if you can stick with it, brother, it's going to change you. It's going to change you. And you can't help but change because the atmosphere is right for you to be changed. Now, beloved, 
We are proud of our church. Can the church be proud of you? Why was it that made the angel nervous? Some of those who made up the church were asleep. I want my church to be proud of me. I surely do. I know it can't always, but I want it to. I sure do. I want it to. I want to act and respond in such a way that this can happen. I want to tell you these two stories and then we're finished. I was visiting the hospital one day to a man that uh, I'd never seen before. And I was told to go there by one of the laymen within the church. And he said, you go see him. He just has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ not too long ago, but he's never had an opportunity to really be a part of the church, but, but he's made his commitment. And I went to see this man, and he was dying. I was told he was dying before I went there, and he knew he was dying. And, and of course, the conversation, he told me, he says, well, he says, preacher, he said, I'm dying. He said, I want you to know, he says, I'm at peace with myself. I'm at peace with my fellow man. And I'm at peace with God. And he says, that has happened to me simply because John told me about his Savior. A layman, not a preacher. He shared with me his Lord. Oh, what a difference. I'm proud. Church is proud of that man. Though I may never tell him. And then I remember there was a young lady came to join the church and at that time within the church we had a policy that the board had called for and they were very good when I thought that no one joined that church unless there was another member of that church that stood up there with them stood at the altar with them when they joined and so we practiced that policy there was a little lady that came to us that made a mess of her life and she was trying to get a hold of herself and straighten her life out and many in that church knew her and knew what a terrible background she had and how she had wasted a great many months of her life at that time. And I wondered who in the world could I get to stand up with her as she stands there at the altar and accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. It makes her a profession of faith. Who could I get within that church that would stand with her without being embarrassed? And I thought of the man in that church was the most beloved man there. And I found him to be one of the most faithful. He was the most faithful man. He just came to his church and he supported his church whether he agreed with it or didn't. It was his church and he was there and he supported it. And, and I thought about this man, a doctor. And so I called him. I says, Doc, you're her doctor and you know her press better than anyone else. And would you stand up with her at the altar? And he said, I thank you for the opportunity. I'll be glad to stand up with her. And when I asked her to come to the altar to receive her vows and be baptized, this great layman got up from his pew and walked down the aisle with her. A church that is a working church, a church that is a witnessing church, a church that has such love and compassion within it that there are those who have made a wreck out of their life and mess it up terribly can find a place where that can be restored. Beloved, 
greatness for us to think about the greatness of the opportunity that God has given us today as a church in his kingdom. Lord Jesus, help us to be equal to the opportunity today that we have to make our witness, for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Let us turn in our hymnals to a closing hymn. We have a story to tell to the nation. And indeed we do. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 